here. So this is Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, somewhere around the middle of it. He's talking about a few different spiritual practices, and this is his teaching on prayer. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. So we're thinking about Jesus' teaching on how you should pray. And uh, it's striking that, at least in Matthew, Jesus just comes right out and says, this is how you should pray. You may know that there are um, a few versions of the Lord's Prayer. Did it strike anybody when I read the Lord's Prayer there? Did anybody feel anything as I got near the end of the Lord's Prayer? Anything missing? So yeah, you felt it, but yeah, you don't want to tell me what it was? Okay. It, it ends abruptly, right? So in Matthew, we have this Lord's Prayer, which is probably how most of us know it, minus the, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Right? You go to Luke, there's also a version of this, and why don't we just go there right now. And in Luke, in Luke, it starts with bold persistence. It starts with God ba or Jesus basically teaching, if you're going to pray, keep praying, keep on this, be, be, be persistent. And then his disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And in Matthew, it's Jesus starting out with, by the way, this is how you should pray. No questions asked. He just comes out and says, this is how you should pray. And he starts with all this stuff about don't pray in a way like other people do where they want to be seen or heard, where it's about them praying. Pray so that it's you and God in conversation. And if you read Luke's, you can do this on your own time. Luke 11, his version is different again. On the first slide, I also had King James. Now, King James didn't write a Lord's Prayer, but the King James version of the Bible, otherwise known as the authorized version, it has the doxology in it. And that's probably why a lot of people think the King James is the best version of the Bible, because it has the doxology in the Lord's Prayer. So, why don't we? Mainly because, again, that text thing where the Bible was written and then it was scri scribes wrote it down by hand and copied it, and someone was so moved, this is my best guess, someone was so moved while copying the Lord's Prayer that they said, and God, you have all the glory and all the power and the kingdom is yours forever, amen, and they, they doxologized. 
Now, we always have this strange little problem. What's the right version of the Lord's Prayer? What's the right version of the Lord's Prayer? Or we could say, that's not the right question to ask. Right? Jesus taught us to pray these things. There's incredible consistency between Luke and Matthew, right? King James Version includes a doxology, which, as I'll say again at the end of the message, feel free to add doxology into your life whenever you want to. Just add that in all the time. Praise God anytime you want to, right, if that's what you're moved to do. And so it's a consistent thing, but as always with the Gospels, there's four Gospels, and there's different versions of the words because there's different contexts in which this gets applied differently. And that's okay because... I don't know if you know this, but we don't live in the first century, and we don't live in Israel, and so we're going to have a different context as we apply these exact same words to our version of prayer. So saying that, I guess I'm giving away my understanding of how we should use the Lord's Prayer. This is how you should pray is not an absolute demand that you must pray these words, because we don't even know exactly which ones we're supposed to be using then. It's a call to use this as an incredibly beautiful and powerful guide, right? So I hope you notice in my congregational prayer, I use the, the Lord's Prayer as a guide. And when you do that, by the way, it stretches your prayer because you have to think, well, what does that mean today? What does that mean in, in light of the things we have to pray for as a congregation? And it helps us again understand what is, it, the, stu- what is the stuff that God wants us to pray about as we pray. All right, structure. I know, always with the structure. You got to know how it's formed in order to know what it means. So there's a one-three-three pattern in the Lord's Prayer. It's um, God, our Father in heaven. You think I'd know the Lord's Prayer by now? Our Father in heaven, and then there's three: Your kingdom come, Your name be hallowed, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. So there's three yours, and then there's give us our daily bread, um, forgive us our sins, and lead us not into temptation. Right. So, interestingly, as someone else noted, this is really love God. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And love your neighbor, help us do things, right? So it doesn't say give me my daily bread. It's give all of us our daily bread, right? So there's that pattern. Then there's somewhere else in the Bible that this cool pattern of seven happens. Anyone want to throw a guess at that answer? It's not as hard as you think it is. Where's the first seven in the Bible? Creation. I know it threw you off because the one's first here, right? And again, I can't do any cool tricks that make this look exactly like creation because I don't think that's the idea. But the reality is in creation, all the stuff is made. There's three panels and three panels, and it comes together in the Sabbath day. And prayer to me is a Sabbath activity. You do it every day, but it brings you into Sabbath every single day. So it starts with God the Father and then puts us into the different things that we need to live into in this world as we pray right? There's a bit of a connection. Okay, now we're going to look at seven things. I think someone else is clicking for me, and I kind of like that, so. Um, We're going to look at seven things, the seven parts of this prayer, and these are seven seven different options of things you can think about and be struck by, And whichever one strikes you the most is the thing you're going to come forward for for prayer after the service. Deal? Deal. All right, your word's deal right after I say deal. Deal? Deal. Thank you. All righty. So first, when you pray, and always, not just with the Lord's Prayer, pray knowing that Jesus has bridged the gap. 
Because, again, if you grew up in church and with the Lord's Prayer and we start with our Father in Heaven, right, you're so used to those words that you think that's just how everyone always spoke and prayed. But Jesus is doing something reasonably radical here by telling his, his disciples, hey, you should pray. When you pray, talk to God like he's your father. And they're going, uh-uh, no, no, no. We don't pronounce God's name. We don't call him daddy. We don't pronounce his name. Those are very different feels, I hope, right? And so Jesus is saying, understand that I've bridged this gap, that you can actually have a personal and intimate experiential conversation with God. Right? So yesterday, as you heard, we had a leadership retreat, staff and council, and one of the um, tasks I gave the community was to, to read Psalm 139 and think about their intimacy with God. What does that feel like? Right? Because, and I told my group anyways, I did that one for me because I've been taught to think about God, right? But it's an ongoing task for me to learn what does it mean to feel that God is present, to be intimate with him, because this, this book, the Bible, is, is his love letter to me, to us, right? And so there should be some sense of experiencing that intimacy, at least on occasion. Know as you pray that the minute you say things like, our Father in heaven, you're talking to God the Father who loves you and wants to have an intimate relationship with you and be deeply connected with you, right? And there's just three words there, our Father in heaven, but maybe that's a good time to pause and just feel what that looks like or feels like what that means for you. Next slide, please. Second thing is pray with growing respect. Hallowed be your name. And you might think right away, well, God's name is hallowed. He, he's God, right? So think of it this way, maybe. If you're a fan of the Maple Leafs, and I happen to be, you probably know that when you say things like that, I know, I got Clem on my side today. When you say things like that, anybody who's not a Maple Leafs fan starts to scoff, right? The name Maple Leafs means a long time without a Stanley Cup, right? That's what that means to people. And what we are hoping as fans, as followers of the Maple Leafs, if the analogy works, is that someday that name will be revered again as a name of a team that actually can win a Stanley Cup, right? Hallowed be your name is recognizing that God is holy, but in this journey of our relationship with people in this world, there's plenty more room for people to respect that name and to recognize that name as the name of a God who's changing things, who's making a difference, who loves us deeply, and who is, as we'll see in a second, building his kingdom in this world. Next slide, please. And pray with your eyes on the main thing. And the main thing is these three simple words, your kingdom come. And again, theologically, you might think, wait a minute, Jesus said when he came and started his ministry in the Gospel of, of Mark, he says, the kingdom, of hand, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here, right? Jesus brought the kingdom into play. So why are we praying for his kingdom to come when he's already made his kingdom come? Jesus has come. Because we recognize there's this funny dynamic going on that, yep, Jesus won the victory on the cross, but we're still in that ongoing journey of making that kingdom real in all the different aspects of our life. So we're recognizing, one, your kingdom come is not a theological prayer where you start thinking theologically about what the kingdom means, right? Your kingdom come is God saying, or us saying to God, I want to be part of making your stuff happen in this world. I'm going to do some sort of ministry 
that reshapes the way people experience truth and goodness and love in this world, right? Because this whole prayer, this whole Lord's Prayer, is about, again, us being in this intimate relationship with God, and God is, not, is excited about nothing more than seeing people know him, know truth, know life, know vitality, and in knowing those things, his kingdom is coming, right? A reason to use the Lord's Prayer as your guide for prayer is to keep this focus in front of us, right? Because when we say your kingdom come, we're putting it out there in God land and at God height saying there's something much bigger going on than my personal needs and the stuff I want and hope for, right? There's a God-sized activity going on and I want to be a part of it. So when we enter into any of the ministries that we do as Mountain View, we're entering into how does this reshape the world so that people know who God is and experience God in all of his goodness and in his truth. Next slide, please. Number four, pray in surrender mode. You've all seen this prayer before, right? Say yes, otherwise I can't stand up. Thank you. Whether you can and should kneel physically, I think we should at least on occasion, kneel your heart, surrender your heart, put yourself in the place where you're saying, God, your will be done. And again, I think our tendency is to go into theology on this and think, wait a minute, God's sovereign, of course his will is going to be done. Yes, very good for you, you have good theology. Prayer is about putting ourselves in tune with good theology, putting ourselves in tune with what's going on in this world. It's about recognizing, sure, of course God's will is going to be done because he's going to be sovereign, and at the end, every knee is going to bow, and his kingdom is going to come. But the question of prayer is, am I in? Am I willing to put my life on the line into the game as fully as I possibly can for this purpose, right? And not to put too much pressure on you, but there's about four or five people who are going to be up here at the end of the service who are really excited to pray for you, right? And one of the acts that many of us need to continue to work on is that ability to surrender. Now, of course, walking forward isn't the only surrender you can do. In fact, you can walk forward and not surrender. But I think for most of us, I want to challenge you to think that through. Yeah, that would be uncomfortable. That would be on my natural comfort zone. And maybe by doing so, maybe, maybe by doing so, what I'm saying to God is, your will, your call on my life is bigger than my ability to be comfortable as I walk out of this place, right? If that works for you, please be invited to come on forward. On earth, as it is in heaven. And again, I think I've taught you this before, I'm going to reiterate this piece. We often think of heaven as that place where you go after you die, and that's, that's okay. But the main part of heaven is everything that is God's will and God's kingdom as it happens right now, right? So yes, you will find out at the end what heaven looks like in terms of the fullness of the afterlife. But your business now, while you're conscious and while you're alive, is the taking of what's going on in God's kingdom, in God's reign, and seeing it happen right here. What are the heavenly things that we want to see here, right? And so the heavenly things we want to see here is not that people have died here and have gone on to the next thing. The heavenly things we want to see here are, what's God up to? What is he really excited about? What makes his heart smile, right? All the things that we think, man, God would love to see us loving that person more. We're going to see some of these things like forgiving that person more, 
right? Those are the things that are in heaven already, because God is forgiving, and that he wants to see enacting right here on earth right now. Next slide, please. So pray like there is manna. Because when Jesus prayed, give us today our daily bread, the Jewish people who were listening to him thought, oh, I know when that happened. That happened in the Old Testament when every day manna, bread, came down from heaven and they could pick up just today's bread. They got our daily bread right from the sky in the desert. So Jesus is using that image. For those of us who have gone to Costco recently and have four months worth of food in our houses, give me my daily bread, kind of rings a little more difficult, right? Give me the ability to pay my Costco bill is maybe more in line how we, how we function, right? So this idea that every little thing you receive every day, every breath you take is a gift from God, is something we need to pause and meditate on, right? Because if we don't keep praying, give us today our daily bread, we're going to start leaning into, thank you, God, that I can provide for myself. Thank you very much, right? And I need to warn you, that's incredibly dangerous to think that way. It's the danger of being Christian in a rich culture like ours, is that we have a hard time saying, God, provide for me today, because we've already, in our minds, provided for ourselves for a long way forward. Lean into that kind of a thing. Um, so we hand out two little devotion books. Can anyone tell the names of those two little devotion books that you've all read for all of your lives? Today in Our Daily Bread. And they're both in this line. Isn't that amazing? You're welcome. If that's your take home, you're welcome. Now, isn't it interesting that this line, which is about bread, food, stuff, creation things that we need to survive, we've made it into a thing about spiritual food. Now, I'm going to be the first to tell you, your spiritual food and your um, stomach food are deeply and intimately in intertwined. But this line is not to be spiritualized away from, I need stuff in my life. I need good emotional health. I need physical health, right? As well as spiritual health. And so those are great names. Those are great devotionals, right? But don't let your spiritual food overlap your need also to be thankful for daily actual bread. Next line, please. Next slide. And pray into restorative practices. My friend Marty Solomon... Not my friend yet, but he will be. Did you know? i got to advertise this. Ruthann and I are going to Turkey with Marty Solomon from Bema in June to learn all kinds of stuff about what happened in what is now called Turkey, right? And I'm very excited about that because I have a lot of questions for Marty, one of which is where he got this idea. He says that when Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer, it connected with a lot of already in place prayers, but that he added this line that this was a new idea for the people who were listening to him. And that's why the very next part is Jesus, right after the prayer, Jesus expands on, right, if you forgive, you'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven, right? And even if what Marty says isn't true, this is a very important line in this prayer because this is the one that we want to stay away from because it's really hard. Because it tells us, well, in the prayer, it says, forgive as you've been forgiven. If you are struggling to forgive somebody, it's suggesting... Hang around in the reality that you've been forgiven, right? So again, don't start with, boy, that person there, if they would just get it together and apologize to me and then stop being like that, then I could forgive them and we could move on. Start with, okay, God, let's talk about forgiveness between you and me. Oh, yeah, while I was yet a sinner, you died for me. 
Yeah. Oh, so that's what you want me to do for that other person? Not wait for them to apologize? Just forgive them because forgiveness is a good idea? And he's going to say yes, by the way. And I know that's hard. The concept's easy. This is one of those ones where you need a conversation to make the practice actually bear fruit in terms of who you are. Start with naming who's that person I have a really hard time forgiving. Right? Not out loud right now. But when you're willing to do the actual work of not just thinking about the concept of forgiveness, but having the person in mind that you're working on forgiving, right? And then find a trusted brother, sister, friend that you can walk through this journey with. Um, We can grow in this, folks. This is part of your kingdom come and your will be done. This is God's kingdom and his will, that there's forgiveness, that there's healing, that there's restoration in relationships. And if we can't do that hard work together here, as long as it takes, it's going to be pretty hard for us to expect the world to go, hey, I want to be part of that community that doesn't forgive each other, right? Forgiveness is incredibly attractive. People who are willing to lay down their right for justice and revenge and anger and all those things, right? That's a powerful gift of God to us, that when we receive it and use it, is a powerful step in the direction of his kingdom in this world. Forgive us our debts, because we're also working our hardest on forgiving our debtors. This forgiveness thing is not about me and God. It's about us as a community being a place of peace and healing. Next slide, please. Seventh. Pray with your eyes wide open. Kind of counter to how we're told to fold our hands and close our eyes. Um, but this is why you need to pray with your eyes wide open, and this is, this is spiritualized as well. Lead us not into temptation. Wait a minute. Does God lead us into temptation? And again, theologically, we want to quickly say, no, God doesn't lead us into temptation, and he doesn't give us anything that we can't bear, and so on. God's saying this. Jesus is saying this. If you pray, your kingdom come, and if you offer yourself and surrender, your will be done, and if you recognize that everything I have is a gift from God, and if you start on this journey of trying to forgive people, you're going to be dealing with this part really soon. You're going to be tempted to go, I don't have to forgive that person. You're going to be tempted to go, I provided for myself. You're going to be tempted to go, yeah, I know that's God's will, but he doesn't want me to do all of it, does he? Right? So you need this piece of the prayer because if you pray the rest of the prayer with any integrity, you're going to be in temptation. You're going to be in a struggle. And I hate to break it to you, God does lead us into temptation. Jesus baptized This is my son with whom I'm well pleased, God says. And then, very next line, the Holy Spirit led him into the desert to be tested, tempted, tried, stretched, right? So when you get to the heaven that is the afterlife, feel free to ask God why this is all about. My suggestion is when you get there, you won't care anymore. You'll go, cool, Jesus, awesome. Don't worry about my questions. (laughs) But if you do have questions when you're there, feel free to ask him why this is all still here. I don't know. But it is, right? So pray the whole prayer and get to the part where, God, as I've turned myself over to you, as I've allowed myself to enter into what you're all about, I'm feeling the, I'm feeling the pain, I'm feeling the stretch, I'm feeling the struggle, right? Please help me through this. Please deliver me. Please give me the strength, right? And then last slide, please. Again, feel free to break out into doxological praise and give it, an all, give it all an amen, right? Of course, 
Amen. <laughs> you just want me to stop, right? That's why you're saying that. <laughs> I know that trick. <laughs> truly God, amen. Truly God, let this all be as you said. Let's pray. Jesus, you've given us prayer. We want to think about it and analyze it, but you call us into it. And so we pray that you will also lead us today into conversation and relationship and depth with you. So we offer ourselves, Lord Jesus, in prayer. We offer ourselves to you, and we pray that you will continue to nudge us and to move us, to heal us, to restore us, and to allow us to invite the rest of our world and community into those same things. This we pray, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.